Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the great joy that it brings us to be able to come together with other men and women and boys and girls and to be united in our praise to you because of your loving kindness and your mercy and your grace. And it's great to know that while we're so different in so many different ways, uh, we belong to the same spiritual family by faith in Christ. Even as the scripture says, he, he's the elder brother, the faithful elder brother uh, who earns our way. And we're thankful to know Jesus in that way. Uh, help us now as we open your word to understand things, to comprehend so that you might work in our lives, that we would give you honor and glory and we would live for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I always get nervous when pastors bring books to the pulpit on a Sunday morning. Um, it's not good optics. I mean, I'm a book guy. I love books. But it's not good optics when the pastor has a book and he's got the Bible because I'm thinking, just give me the Bible. Anyway, it might be a personal hang-up, but I just don't, just don't like it. Um, and look at me. I have a whole stack of books this morning. It's bad optics. Well, these books um, represent books that in the last... 25 years since I've been in pastoral ministry um, have been books that I've been told I have to read. These are vital books. These are important books. There could be other ones, but these are the, some of the ones that um, minds who are supposed to know such things. Uh, tell us these are critically acclaimed books, and if you want to know how to do Christian ministry, you want to know how to do church, here are some of the books you have to have. They didn't come out at the same time, they've come out through the years. And so some of these books would be uh, Missional Church. Uh, here I've got um, Rediscovering Church. I've got the Multi-Site Church Revolution. I've got the New Worship. I've got a new kind of Christianity. I've got the purpose-driven church. That's really old. And I've got the emerging church. And I've got a lot of books I'd like to have my money back for. And they're all passé. Have to have these if you want to know how to do Christian ministry faithful. If you want to reach the lost, you want to do it, you have to have this book. This is the next big thing. This is the new fad. You've got to do it or you'll fail. And they're all passe now. That's why I end up saying, I've been fooled. Most of the books I bought for critical review because I wanted to know. But I've been fooled, but I won't be fooled again. We don't need to keep chasing what I'm going to call fattyanity. It even sounds bad, doesn't it? It's the next thing. We, we ought not be the gullible people ready to buy the next thing they're selling to us. New this, new that, rediscovering this, rediscovering that. What we want to do in light of what we learn from the Bible is be into new, into the new covenant, <laughs> which started 2,000 years ago with the reality of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And now we're called in the Bible ministers of the new covenant. Okay, that's as cutting edge as we want to be because it will always be relevant. It won't be a fad. It will be relevant not only in our lifetime, but it will be relevant for eternity. And so what I want to do this morning is, is re encourage us with a good dose of what that looks like, and that will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the fourth chapter of 2 Corinthians that really gives us some good highlights, reminders, 
um, stakes to put in the ground, and, and these are things that will always be relevant. If we want to have an authentic ministry, oh yeah, we've got to use that word. If we want to have an authentic ministry, if we want to have a relevant ministry, if we want to have a whatever the next crazy word is, or good word even, but we, if, we, if, we, if we're going to have a good journey, right? I've got to use journey, right? These are the words that you've got to use. <laughs> Sorry. Sarcasm is a wonderful thing. Sometimes it gets in the way. Second Corinthians helps us because the Apostle Paul, in the midst of a conflict about how to succeed as a church, how to succeed in ministry, he, he drives some stakes into the ground and says, here's what I'm committed to no matter what, and it will always be relevant. So Second Corinthians chapter, if I said 6, I meant chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. We're going to read the text in just a second, but I have to tell you kind of a funny thing. We've already studied Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6 in January. In January, I wanted to do a beginning of the year sermon, so I preached Second Corinthians chapter 4, 1 to 6. I had no idea we were going to study Second Corinthians as a church. So, if your Bible has notes in it that look familiar and you think, I think this one is one that he's done before, you're smarter than your average bear, Okay. I'm going to follow the same outline, but we'll color outside of the lines a little bit. But if it sounds strangely familiar, it's strangely familiar, and it wasn't very long ago. But right now as a church, if you're just joining us, we're studying through the whole book. And so I'm not going to skip it. Uh, I just might go a little bit faster. So let's read the text. It's a great text reminding us what real time-tested, lasting ministry, our kind of ministry should look like. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God... We do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Such a great text. If you would like to take notes today, my outline will be six distinctions, six ministry distinctions that that protect us from having to chase the next big thing that won't be the next big thing. Uh, that will that will help us to always be relevant. Um, that will help us to stay on track as a church, as Christians. Uh, so there'll be six of these this morning. Some of them will go pretty fast. I'm so insecure about having this big stack of books there and bad optics. I'm putting it over there. We're just going to do Bible today. Okay? Thank you for just letting me get that off my chest. For the, the, the first stake in the ground, if you will, or the first um, distinction would be gospel ministry is encouraging. It's encouraging. We see this in verse 1, and let's go ahead and see why it would be encouraging. It says in verse 1, if you look there with me, therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. That's where I got the, it's, it's encouraging. 
were always, no matter what, heartened, were encouraged. Even though the Apostle Paul is being attacked, his character is being attacked, his gospel is being attacked, his apostleship is being attacked in this book, they're trying to undermine him, his motives are being attacked, he is making it clear that if you do ministry like this, you don't lose heart. You never lose heart. You can always find encouragement. You can always keep on keeping on one more day. It's worth it because he can see and have perspective. Therefore, as it says, having this ministry by the mercy of God, what kind of ministry is this ministry? Well, what I did is I circled this ministry here and went back to chapter 3, and this ministry is referring to new covenant ministry. It's, it's ministry that proclaims Jesus Christ, salvation in Him by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ's finished work alone. And that people who trust in Him, anyone, no matter who they are, no matter what their background is, anyone and everyone who trusts in Him will be accepted by God. That's chapter 3 stuff. I don't lose heart. Criticism here, criticism there. Broken relationship here, broken relationship there, conflict here, conflict in the church, whatever it is. We've got to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. And we have a ministry that helps us to not lose heart. Chapter 3, he also called it a ministry of righteousness. You remember that? A ministry of righteousness. Chapter 3, verse 9. One translation puts it, the ministry that brings righteousness. And that's helpful because it unpacks the reality. What kind of ministry, ministry means service, we have a service to those around us, a service to our world, a service to unbelievers, or a service to believers. We have a ministry, we have a service, we're telling them about righteousness. Righteousness is, is, is a legal word, it means keeping the law, keeping God's law. Jesus summarized God's law as love God, love neighbor. That's God's law, that's what we're supposed to do, it's good. So righteousness is, if you want to abbreviate, loving God and loving neighbor, keeping God's law. But the bad news is the Bible says, like in Romans, there's none righteous, no, not one. So none of us have perfectly, adequately, appropriately kept God's law. No one in this room has ever loved God perfectly, appropriately. No one in this room has ever loved their neighbor perfectly, appropriately, for God to accept them. Wages of sin is death. None righteous, no, not one. But in chapter 3, verse 9, we have a ministry of righteousness. And in chapter 3, it's clear it's the righteousness that Christ provides as a substitute. So we tell people to believe in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, His righteousness, His perfect upholding of love God and love neighbor is given to you. And then God accepts you. This is new covenant reality. This is, this, it doesn't get any better than this. This is what I want to talk about all the time. This is the broken record thing. This is the one string guitar. This is what we do. But, but it causes us to not lose heart. Not to mention, to, to not lose focus. We have a ministry of righteousness. Not a ministry of condemnation that tells people, do more, try harder. Be a good person and God will accept you. My rhythm is off, sorry. We have a ministry of righteousness. Not condemnation. Look to Him. Look to Him. Yeah, but I've done all this stuff. Yeah, I know. Me too. Maybe in different ways. Look to Him. Don't look to my example. Look to Him. Don't even look to His example because His example is perfect and that will only damn you. How about Jesus as your older brother? 
growing up, right? If you could only be more like your older brother. That was a ministry of condemnation because he did everything right all of the time. And so we look to him, in one sense, look to him as your example and go, I could never do it. I've slayed. So I've got to look to him as my substitute, as the one who is in my place. And then he even dies in my place to take away my guilt, does the right thing to provide my righteousness. Folks, don't lose heart. No matter who burns you in the church, no matter who burns you in your family, no matter what the heartbreak or whatever it is, we we, we don't lose heart because we, we, we have a unique, simple ministry, a ministry of righteousness. And that keeps us going. That keeps us motivated. Let's move on to a second. A second distinction of gospel ministry for Omaha Bible Church, learning from the Apostle Paul, and it's not a trend. It will always matter. The second one is gospel ministry is honest. I didn't say all ministry is honest. There's all kinds of dishonest ministry. The Apostle Paul is butting heads with a dishonest ministry. There are good churches and there are bad churches. Read Revelation 1 to 3. Good, true Ministry of righteousness ministry is, is, is always honest. It's an honest ministry. It has integrity. How about verse 2? Go there with me if you would. But we have renounced, said no to, rejected. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. And in our context of chapter 3, God's word, God's revelation of Jesus, you could use a synonym, gospel. Our ministry is honest. We tell the truth about Jesus. Maybe it would be more if we could draw a bigger crowd if we maybe added some works to it. Maybe it would draw a bigger crowd if we said, let's make it softer. There are many ways. I'm glad you've found your way. Maybe you could light a candle and write a poem about it. (laughs) And that's your gospel, right? He's not trying to doctor it up and be dishonest. He's saying, you know what? I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I have the interpretation of his actions from him, from the horse's mouth, if you will. And so that's what I give you. It has integrity. So we're not trying to make it harsher because some people are drawn to harsh. And some people are not drawn to harsh, they're drawn to something else. And so we're just going to try to give people what they want to have. And he's saying, you know what, we have integrity, we, we, we tell it straight up. The truth about Jesus. You are a sinner and you could never make it on your own in a bazillion years. You better look to him. But if you do look to him, God accepts you regardless of what has happened. It's good, that's why we say it's good news. And so it has integrity. But do notice there's a negative side. There's a negative tone to to his ministry. He's honest, but by promoting the right thing, he's renouncing the wrong things. And that could be a point in and of itself. Disgraceful, underhanded ways. The NIV says secret and shameful ways. That's a good nuance to capture. Disgraceful and underhanded is right and literal. But secret at least captures a, a kind of nuance especially with the people he's opposing, these so-called super-apostles. The super-apostles are the loser apostles, but that's who they claim to be. We have secret knowledge. We know that that's what you heard from Jesus, but you know, God told me. 
It's the secret underhanded stuff. And the Apostle Paul says that, that's, that doesn't have integrity. We reject that. We're honest. I mean, if I, if, again, I've said this before. If I wanted to start a cult, I would just start telling you that God is speaking to me. Now the authority is here. I don't have a servant authority under the Bible, which is a good kind of authority. I actually have a authority above the Bible, and now I can manipulate and control your life because I've got secrets from God that aren't even true. The Apostle Paul is saying, no, we, we, we don't do that. Okay, ready? Keep going? But nobody talks like that today, right? You've got to have my book because I have secrets from God. Got the big stack. And in 20 years, no one, no one will ever, ever even heard of that book. Except for pastors like me who like to keep up on things. I wish I could have the money back from all those books. My wife wishes so too. In seminary, we, we, I had a professor who said for every, I can't remember, however many books you buy, you should buy your wife a new dress. I never did it. Sorry. We're going to be honest if we stick to the simple truth about the righteousness of Christ. Straightforward. Let's go to number three and let's uh, call it gospel ministry is simple. It is simple. Verse 2 goes on to say, this is number 2, but still uh, verse 2, but. So in contrast to distorting the word of God, in contrast to distorting the gospel, and doctoring it up, trying to improve it, make it new, but by the open statement of the truth. The open statement of the truth, the gospel truth, the word truth. By the open statement, the clear statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. It's simple. I don't mean, nor does the apostle mean shallow, but it's simple. The truth, simply given, this is how we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. I told you the truth. I told you the truth plainly. I told you the truth so you could understand it. And so, I'm I didn't hide anything. I didn't change anything. I, 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 I did so clearly. I might say with a clear conscience. And it's in the sight of God. So as God is hearing you tell people the truth about Jesus, He's the ultimate audience. I, I want to do a good job of echoing what has been said. What God would say, yeah, that, that, the, the person you're talking about sounds like my son. And if we can do that, clear conscience. It's like the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. I'm innocent of the blood of everyone. Because I didn't try to make the gospel better. I didn't try to make the gospel easier. I didn't try to make it harder. I just gave the truth about Jesus. I have a clear conscience, innocent of the blood of everyone. Just a couple of comments about 
us trying to do this as a church. So whether you're teaching kids or you're having a personal Bible study or I'm preaching sermons or you're teaching adults or personal conversations or sharing the gospel, we we do want it to be simple. We do want it to be clear. We don't want it to be wrong, but we, we do want it to be clear. So even today, I use the word righteousness, and I defined it because I know, even though we talk about it all the time, lots of people don't know what the word even means, and I want everyone to at least know what the word means, so I'm trying to always bring people along so that they can either understand the gospel and accept it, or understand the gospel and reject it, but at least they understood the gospel. So, so let's, let's be clear. Now, granted, the church has a culture, right? We have a culture. We have a vocabulary. Um, it doesn't happen overnight when you go to a different culture that you all of a sudden understand and comprehend everything. But if you, if you try, you can figure out cultures, usually, but sometimes the church, here's what I want to warn, we create this culture that almost seems impenetrable. Never said that word before in my life. We don't need to do that. I, I'm going to do my very best, not to water down, but to make clear. So we're going to say justification and imputation and sanctification and redemption and define them and explain them so we have a clear presentation in the sight of God, clear conscience, we, we, we delivered it. I've found that when people want to be part of a certain culture, they can learn it, a little effort. Now, if somebody doesn't want to learn, then I can't help them. So here's a different culture that I come from, and I'm going to describe my afternoon. This afternoon, I'm going to do some intervals in zone 5 and check my TSS. Probably about five people know what it means when I'm going to do intervals in zone 5 and check my TSS. Cycling vernacular, okay? Weirdos, right, Um, who ride bikes. It's bike racing vernacular. It's a culture. And I didn't understand what any of those things meant when I first wanted to express interest. But because I had interest, I was feeling the, I was feeling the effectual call of the cycling gods. <laughs> no, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> Sports are this way. Hobbies are this way. Work is this way. Church is this way. So, so let, let's not buy the lie that says we can't use any church words because we can't have a culture. We have a culture. Let's just do what we can to make the truth about Jesus clear to anyone and everyone, even if they're from outside of our culture. That's all I really wanted to get at. And we want to, be, we want to excel at that and honor God in that way. I love that quote um, in that text in verse 2, the open statement of the truth. The open statement of the truth. A different translation puts it, setting forth the truth plainly. There we go. That's what we do. That's what we're in the business of doing. Okay, number four. Uh, fourth distinction of gospel ministry that we would want to follow and have. Uh, gospel ministry is never broken. It is never broken. How about verse three? And even if our gospel is veiled, people can't see it, they don't understand it, they, 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 it's incomprehensible. Even if it is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now that... That should be heart-wrenching, that last part. I hope it's heart-wrenching, and I hope it's not just an academic exercise for us. People are perishing. There is condemnation. And that is heartbreaking. 
But what we don't want to do is tinker with the message and the person and work of Jesus and God ultimately somehow thinking that the reason people are rejecting the good news about Jesus Christ is because Jesus is broken. Jesus is not broken. The gospel is not broken. The message is not broken. It doesn't need your help or my help. Know this, friends. If it is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So why are we trying to get those who are perishing to be members of our church? Maybe we want their money. Maybe I like bigger numbers. Maybe it makes me feel good about myself. Maybe it's because I love them. There's all different kinds of reasons. We want to preach the truth about Jesus. That's how the veil gets taken away, by the way. If it's going to be taken away, chapter 3, we learned about that. I don't know who God's working in. I don't know who the call of God are. I don't understand these things. It's like Spurgeon said, you can't lift up the back of people's shirts and see that there's an E for election or whatever it is. I don't know. So we preach Christ to everyone, but we preach Christ, the true Christ. Acts 13, 48, knowing that all those who've been appointed unto, a li- unto eternal life will believe. Acts 13, 48. The old, old story is not broken. It's actually the new story. It's the new covenant. I know how to sell things, right? I've won awards for sales. At Omaha Bible Church, I'm a terrible salesperson. This is not how to win people and sell them on things. I haven't won an award for a long time. I might not be so good at it, but in my imagination, I am. But, you know. The last sales award I got was sales rep of the quarter or something. Um, And the owner of the company was paying out on a certain date. And so the day after he paid me my bonus for sales rep of the quarter, I resigned to go to seminary. He told me, you're just going to be selling a different product. That's, that, that's not how we do it. I was thankful for the cash bonus, though. Verse 4 goes on to say, In their case, the God of this world, Satan, that would be, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, if we're really giving them the truth, we're giving them the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why in the world would you want to tinker with that? You don't want, if you're giving them the, the, the true gospel, you're giving them the glory of Christ, the, the image of God. You're giving them the, the true reality. Let's keep moving. Fifth distinction of gospel ministry is gospel ministry is selfless. It is selfless. It says in verse 5, For what we proclaim 
What we preach, what we herald as good news heralds, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, Jesus Savior, Jesus anointed King, forever ruling and reigning provider, deliverer as Lord, the one who is over all and supreme. That's who we proclaim, the Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We don't proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Him. I'm trying to decide what to take out and what to add in. I think most of us agree we shouldn't preach ourselves, we should preach Him as Lord. Maybe this helps. We have no reason to believe that the Corinthians who are being drawn away by the faker apostles were atheists. We have no reason to believe they didn't believe in Jesus as the historical figure. We have no reason to believe that they didn't believe a lot of things that are true about Jesus. We have no reason to believe that they were just saying, we're not going to talk about Jesus anymore, we're just going to talk about ourselves. Let's, let's give them some credit and allow for some nuancing. Somehow or another, they were preaching a version of Jesus. But actually, the Apostle Paul says they're preaching themselves. And if we dial it back and we look in our context, apparently they weren't preaching Jesus as the righteous, the just for the unjust. They weren't preaching Jesus as the ultimate reconciler, Allah, not the condemning one, but the justifying one. Somehow or another, it was they're in charge, and the Apostle Paul labels it, they're preaching themselves. I think one way we preach ourselves today is when we know what the gospel of Jesus is and then we change it. That's just pat, preaching pat. That's pattyanity, and that sounds as dumb as fattyanity. It's just a fad. He's just preaching himself. Another way we probably preach ourselves is when we don't preach the Bible as it was meant to be proclaimed. And so... We mine the Bible for timeless truths that are always relevant. Well, there are timeless truths in the Bible that are always relevant. But a lot of times that ends up looking a lot like Pat mined the Bible for things he wanted to dictate to us. How to, life coach, all that kind of stuff, which is fine. But that's not what the church is called to do. We have a ministry of not life coaching, how-to common sense realities based upon your pastor's wonderful insights. What, we, what we're called to do is have a ministry of proclamation and we're proclaiming the ministry of righteousness. We're proclaiming the substitutionary work of Christ, redemption in Christ. That's what we're called to do. There's a lot of other important things in your life, a lot of other important things in my life that the church is not called to, to, to fix or solve or help me with. But we have a ministry of righteousness. I don't want to preach myself. We talked about last week, we talked about how in uh, the veil, Old Testament, 
In light of the New Testament, we talked about redemptive historical, that somehow everything in the old was meant to be types and shadows leading to the substance that belongs to Christ. Uh, Yes, there are contours and there are nuances and there are different characters throughout the whole Old Testament world and economy, if you want to use that word. But those are types and shadows. The Apostle Paul would say in Colossians, uh, Hebrews, Romans 5, the substance belongs to Christ. Here's where I'm going. I think one way we preach ourselves is we forget that. Now let's go to our character studies and see how they're like us or not like us. And, and somehow they're in end in and of themselves. Because what else are you going to do with those people? Why are they in the Bible? Chapter 3 is helping us to learn why they're in the Bible. They're in the Bible, ultimately types and shadows leading us to the substance that belongs to Christ. Okay, we better move on. I don't want to move on. One more thing about that, as every lying pastor says. We're supposed to be honest, right? Um, just, just one more thing about number five, about, about this in, in ministry being selfless. If you try to do this, I suspect that you're going to be labeled as selfish. Sometimes. I suspect right now I'm being labeled as selfish by some. Because who, who, is, who in the world is that guy think he is? Up there speaking in terms of not how he feels, but he's being dogmatic and he's speaking in terms of truth. He even read the Bible that says the truth. And he's speaking in terms that are black and white. This is how it is. This is how it isn't. This is right. This is wrong. And that's perceived as selfish. If you tell people that you must look to Jesus for righteousness and God requires righteousness and apart from the righteousness of Christ that you receive by faith, some people are going to run to that and say, thank you for telling me good news. And others are going to say, what planet called egomania did you come from or what solar system? You're so selfish. So I get that. It's part of how we're trying to learn to communicate better. But selfish, if it's really true, selfish is saying it's not true. If it's really true that Jesus was raised from the dead, I'm in. I'm in. He has the authority to say what he says, and I would be a good idea to believe him. And for me to say otherwise is the true selfishness. So if you and I are going to have an argument and you're going to say, I think you're arrogant for saying the things that you say, I'm going to say, okay, maybe I am. I'm not perfect for sure. By the way, that's why I need alien righteousness from outside of myself because I'm not perfect. And, but but if, if it gets more sophisticated and you say, I think you're arrogant because you know what, there are many people who believe other things. You're totally right. There are many people who believe other things. There are people I love who believe other things. Yep, me too. There are smart people who believe other things. Yep, I know some of them. There are sincere people who believe other things. Yep, for sure, I know some of those people too. But at the end of the day, one person has been raised from the dead. 
and he wasn't gagged. One person has been raised from the dead and verbally, with human language, interpreted what it meant. I'm in. I preach it. I preach it. Not underhandedly, but straightforwardly, because I, I don't know what else to do. I'm, I'm happy about it, by the way. If it's true that Jesus was raised from the dead and spoke to explain it, interpret it, everyone, everyone, all nations, everyone should trust in him. It is what it is. That's, what, that's just basic ABC's Christianity, by the way. Maybe one reason why this is so weird to people is because Christians for so long have been doing other things, thinking that's our ministry. And then Christians come along and talk about Christ. How dare you? Well, it's probably not a good indicator of how good a job we've been doing. We've been chasing this. We've been chasing that. We've been chasing all sorts of things. Maybe if all along we would have been telling people the truth about Jesus, our broader culture would expect us to be telling the truth about Jesus. Yeah, those Christians, they're not very good at much. But they're clear on Jesus. Let's move on to another one. Sixth distinction and then we'll wrap up. Gospel ministry is the greatest. It is the greatest. This is the greatest thing we could do. This is the greatest thing to be a part of. This is the crescendo. How about verse 6? For God... For God who said, I mean, those, even those are, if those things are true, for God, okay, tell me more, comma, who said, oh, he speaks? I, I want to know that. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. So the, God, the one true unrivaled Yahweh God, speaks, and what does he do with his supernatural power, the God who, who, who creates light out of darkness, who does the undoable, you can't do it in a lab, has shown. That God, that God, that God has shown in our hearts, so the cosmic, grand, transcendent God, untouchable, holy, 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 otherwise unknowable, he has now come close, imminent, here, personal, has, as he says there, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. How? 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 In the face of Jesus Christ. <laughs> if, if it's true, you say, there's nothing greater than this. This is the greatest thing in the whole world. This is it. This is everything. If that God did that, in Christ, and now it's New Covenant talk in our hearts, personal. This God isn't against us. He's for us. It's the best. It's the best. To the degree that we get that, we'll say, would you please not tell me anything else about anything else? Tell me more about that. And guess what we're going to do next week? We're going to talk more about that. Okay? We're going to talk more about that. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Omaha Bible Church. We are a 
grateful congregation, grateful for the fact that you are a God who rescues sinners like us according to your mercy and according to your grace. Thank you that you don't give us what we deserve. Thank you that we have good news to share with people who need to hear good news just like we did. Help us to be clear. Help us to even be growing in our knowledge of God, as Colossians 1 says, that we might even be clearer. And we would ask that you might use us in the lives of people that they might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus personally. In his name we pray, amen.